Thanks be to God. Sisters, the Lord be with you. Amen. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you're a truthful man. And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin. He said to them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? He replied, Caesar's. At that, he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. The Gospel of the Lord. What are you uh, a fan or a super fan even of? Giants or Jets? Probably if you want to admit that this year. Um, Yankees? Well, too soon to mention them either. Mets or Red Sox? Now you've lost me. So maybe we should just stay away from all sports altogether. It could be anything. It could be something else. Maybe it's a music group or a musician. I had never heard of Post Malone until my... My goddaughter and niece started demonstrating her profound appreciation for him a year ago, which was very reminiscent of my cousin 20 years earlier. Her age might have been as equally as obsessed with Bon Jovi. Or it could be like a video game, like Call of Duty or a hobby, even something as sophisticated as literature. A friend of mine was an avid reader and pursued his master's degree in literature and was visibly moved and incredibly excited when his wife had gotten him a first edition of Herman Melville's classic, Moby Dick. I remember a buddy of his was confused saying, don't you already have this book? Why would you want an old copy of it? 
He was even more shocked when he learned that this first edition was worth about $700. Virality is what we all can get very passionate about a wide variety of things for an equally wide variety of reasons. They can tap into our desires, our gifts, our talents, even our, our dreams or ambitions. And most times they're, they're things that bring some excitement or healthy pleasure or maybe even some curiosity into our lives. But there's always that line where something can cross over to an extreme, possibly make us change our priorities or even our identity. For example, a British newspaper recently ran this story about a man named Brian Maddox, who is making the argument that he's the biggest fan ever of the television series, Doctor Who. Brian can recall becoming hooked on this sci-fi series, which ran from 1963 to 1989, when he was nine years old, it was back in 1979. And he said there was this cliffhanger episode, which had him eagerly anticipating the follow-up to air to resolve the, the storyline. And he never missed another episode of the show. Ultimately, he watched every one of the nearly 900 episodes numerous times to the point he's practically memorized every line and every detail of the show. This also resulted in this lifelong passion for collecting items from the show. Now, what made this story newsworthy was that another fan had recently been named to the Guinness World Records for having amassed over 6,000 items related to the TV series. Who knew that so many Doctor Who fans existed? Anyway, Brian argues he could easily beat that, but he imagines it's gonna take him months to be able to count all that he has. By conservative estimates, he believes he spent over $125,000 in purchasing items for the for over the years from the show, not to mention birthday gifts and Christmas gifts that all contribute to this ever-expanding museum of Doctor Who collectibles. I'm sorry, I couldn't be any less interested in this, but suffice it to say, anyone who knows Brian Maddox can tell he's a Doctor Who fan. More than a fan who just enjoys the show and can share that interest with others, he seems to have gone over that line to a little bit of an extreme, to where you might have to ask some other questions like, has this become an unhealthy obsession? What do we possess? Or rather, what possesses us? That's one of the important questions that comes from reflecting on tonight's gospel. Because in this encounter, Jesus is not just confronting the hypocrisy of those who are questioning him. The deeper question for all of his listeners is to ask themselves of the things that we get passionate about, what place do they hold, and how does that affect how we live our lives? To back up, though, we have to remember what we heard the past three Sundays, which preceded this scene. Jesus had been proposing these parables to the religious leaders of his day, which were all very pointed and critical teachings that were warning them that they were in real danger of missing, of losing the kingdom of God. That didn't go over very well. So rather than considering those warnings, though, or do any self-reflection on their lives or an examination of their consciences, they decide to kill the messenger, figuratively for now. 
And they set up this hypothetical scenario aimed at causing division among Jesus' listeners by asking this question about paying taxes to the Romans. The Jews had been occupied by the Roman Empire. And one of the many ugly things that grew from this occupation was how it had divided the Jews themselves. These two groups, the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians, were actually rivals themselves. They hated each other. The Herodians had gotten very accustomed and adjusted and in some ways had collaborated with the Romans, while the Pharisees steadfastly objected to Rome and saw them as being occupied by an enemy force. But in this scene, they put all their animosity with each other aside for a common enemy, Jesus. And so they propose this scenario that's designed to put Jesus right in the middle of this very controversial topic, which would tick off one side or the other of the Jews in this contentious debate. And some look at that answer that Jesus gives, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, is almost taking a pass on the issue like he doesn't want to get involved. But it's really missing a really subtle and important point that Jesus is making. When he asks them for the coin that pays the tax, as they show they possess that coin themselves, they reveal that they've made peace with this contentious issue by deciding to use the currency. They're a part of the Roman Empire and the Roman economy. Jesus is pointing out that they've used their free will and made that decision to participate. So they're not interested in settling this debate, nor do they even really find the whole thing unjust after all because they're carrying the coin. Think about it. The, the Jews had all these dietary laws. They had all these rituals for purifying things. There were people and places that they completely avoided lest it in any way would make them unclean. And all those practices were meant to highlight that they were a chosen people, people that were set apart by God. So they were to live and act differently. And sometimes they got lost in those externals and might have forgotten the reason and the meaning behind those things. But ultimately, all those, those rituals reflected their identity as being God's chosen people and as a way of expressing and demonstrating that God and God alone is what mattered to them. Yet here they're participating in this hated Roman Empire and their economy, accepting a coin that had the image of Caesar who for the Romans was considered a god himself. They had allowed this to defile themselves. They had once again been unfaithful in keeping the Lord God front and center in their lives. And in their questioning Jesus and in their very act of possessing the coin, they reveal what possesses them. Their desire for power, for authority, for prestige, for influence. Desires which, on the surface, don't have to be evil, don't have to be a negative thing, but have become such for them. The Pharisees and the Herodians had allowed those things to hold such an extreme value for them and corrupted and distorted their relationships with one another and with God as they turned inward on themselves and solely on their self-interest. So Jesus' response to them is getting to a matter of integrity. He's basically separating the issues. First saying, you know better, so don't try to play stupid now. You've engaged in the Roman economy, then you pay the Roman, Roman tax. Even more, Jesus is revealing their interest in ambition and power and prestige 
as they battle with each other and try to trap Jesus as this outsider threatening that competition, which has caused them to forget their identity as God's chosen people and blinding them to God's very presence in front of them. We can kind of chuckle about a, a guy whose extreme fandom for a television show like Doctor Who has him featured in this news story. And as you read the story, though, it was notable that there was no discussion about family or relationships or his career or any other priority in his life. And towards the very end, he said he could never imagine selling any of his collectibles from his quote-unquote shrine. In a sad way, Doctor Who has become his Caesar, if not his God. Before we just dismiss that as simply a very, very odd and extreme example, the same pitfall is possible for each of us. Jesus is asking us, is there something we're pursuing, possessing, or possessive of that has in fact started to possess us? Things that move us from tapping into our interests and desires and passions into things that distort our, our view of the world, ourselves or others, and even become sinful things. For example, when a, a person goes from wanting to take care of their appearance to becoming vain and pursuing vanity, or purchasing something that you, you need or want to becoming overly materialistic, Wanting to do a good job at work or, or school and then becoming so fixated in it that you become a workaholic or you obsess about your performance. Or enjoying a, a football game to Sunday having very little semblance of it being the Lord's Day as it becomes wall to wall about sports. Who are the Caesars I've allowed into my life? Who is some claim over me? That's taken up all this time and energy and space in my own life. As uncomfortable as all those reflections can be for us, Jesus continues to lovingly reach out to us no matter how resistant or obstinate we might be. At the end of that exchange Jesus has with these men who are trying to trap him, even with their ill intentions and the revelation of how far they've strayed, Jesus offers them a hopeful resolution. And he says, repay to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what belongs to God. He's reminding them it's not too late for them or for us to turn away from those things that have possessed us and then to turn back to God. We find that when we do that, only then will we have that liberty, that true freedom from all that detracts and distracts us in this life. And turn instead towards our God, whose loving gaze has never left us and is always calling us to him.